Let us pray. Lord God, help us to know your ways. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And brothers and sisters, I actually have a reading from both Testaments today to share with you. Both, I think, very familiar. The Old Testament reading is from the book of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, verses 2 through 8. And the second reading is from the uh, letter to the Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, and I'm going to read them successively. And so I invite you now to listen to the word of God. I'm actually going to start with verse 1 of chapter 3, not verse 2. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And now from Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned to the children, I was taught this prayer as a little boy. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I give the Lord, or I pray the Lord, my soul to take. And this is a wonderful prayer. It is, in fact, designed to be a child's prayer. It affirms that God is carefully watching over us in life and in death. And it was first published, apparently, in the New England Primer, printed in 1690. And in those hundreds of years, of course, the prayer has been repeated by countless millions of people, I would think. Now, I uh, 
I caused a little bit of amusement in Sunday school when I mentioned that I pray something like that whenever I'm on an airplane about to take off. For some, the takeoff makes me very nervous, so I usually pray something like that, and I confess my sins too. Um, it's always a good time to do that. Um, or I may just say the prayer, Lord, into your hands, I commend my spirit. So I just, I just get very, obviously very nervous um, when I'm about to take off. And we all have ways of dealing with um, airplane flights. I had a lovely teacher back in high school, wonderful woman, um, and her method of doing it um, may not be a bad one, although I prefer prayer, but she would, she, in those days, I guess security wasn't as tight, she'd bring a thermos on with her, and it would have her nice big screwdriver mixture in it. And apparently that's how she got through it. So there's something to be said for that, but I've chosen the route of prayer. Now, when we look at uh, what the author of Ecclesiastes says, and that's traditionally ascribed to King Solomon, certainly the wisest man or one of the wisest who ever lived, he said there is a time to be born and a time to die. And Again, the book of Hebrews says that it is appointed um, that men, it is appointed that man die once. It is appointed that man will have that one time experience. It is estimated that 60 million people, or two every second, die each year. Imagine that. Every second that passes, two more people shuffle off the mortal coil of the earth. And yet, it is fair to say that many people live in denial of death. Apparently, Louis the uh, Louis the Fourth. I'm sorry, not the Fourteenth. The Fifteenth, the King of France from 1715 to 1774, ordered that death was never to be spoken of in his presence. He sought to avoid every place and monument that in any way suggested death. And a little bit less extreme. Um, I mentioned just because of my background, my mother dying when I was young, that you know I have thought about death a fair amount in my life. Uh, I experienced a lot of death when I worked as a chaplain at the Lehigh Valley Hospital, um, and so I you know I talk about it kind of frankly sometimes. And I have a friend from school about my age. Oh, and he hates hearing about it. He thinks I'm obsessed with it, just because I say something about it at all. I remember he got mad at me because I asked if his Governess, he was you know, pretty wealthy growing up. He had a governess, lovely lady, German lady, and I asked him, you know, if she was still alive. Now, at the time I asked, she would have been 97 years old. I don't think that's an unreasonable question, but he got mad at me for asking it. So we all have ways of dealing or not dealing with death. But the fact remains, however we choose to deal with it, there is no way of avoiding it. And so wisdom compels us to ask. If I know, or if I knew that I should die before I wake, what would I do? And, well, there are two ways of looking at it. Um, I mean, that's really alarming if we think we might die tomorrow. If we had a little more time, we would probably come up with bucket lists. Um, We talked a little bit about that in Sunday school as well, um, or after Sunday school. My bucket list, I'd love to visit Israel. And I'd love to go visit family in England by taking the Queen Mary too. That's kind of on my bucket list. Um, And I'm sure you all have some things that you might really want to do if you had just a few months to live and time to do that. 
But let's narrow the focus then. What would it be like if you knew that you would die before you wake? That is a rather scary thought. But it certainly concentrates the mind. And so what would we do with our last day on earth? Well, let me share with you some thoughts that are, I think, well supported by the scriptures and good things for people to do if we say we believe in Jesus Christ and want to trust in him. Certainly, the first thing, if we are aware of our impending death, is to make sure of our salvation. Second uh, Peter 1.10 says, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And that's the NIV translation. Now, I would certainly want to make sure that I've repented of my sins. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. At, at age 19, a man named Al Johnson joined two other men in robbing a Kansas bank. The case was closed by police officers after two former convicts, who had been mistakenly identified by bank officers as the robbers, were killed in a car crash. Al felt that he would never be caught. He married a Christian girl who knew nothing of his past crime. Then one day, someone mailed him a tract titled God's Plan of Salvation. Under deep conviction, the realization struck him that he could be forgiven. With great repentance, he knelt in prayer and accepted Christ. And after much prayer, he confessed his crime. And imagine what he must have been feeling as he was going to the police to confess what he did. Now, I suppose there's a happy ending in this sense that enough time had passed that under the Kansas statute of limitations, he was set free. But the thing is, he didn't know that. He was not a lawyer. He didn't know what was going to happen. For all he knew, he could have been locked up for, his, for the rest of his life. But he went forward and he confessed to his crime because that was part of the process of repentance and receiving the great forgiveness of God. Now today, this man, Al, is a manager of a service station. He's the father of three admiring children and he's a faithful church member. He has paid back every dime he stole. What a wonderful example of a change in life. Now, we may not have time to do all of those things if we really are on our last day, but we can truly repent. We can truly offer ourselves to God and ask for his forgiveness, and we can truly do what we can in that time to make amends. And so we repent of our sins, and we also want to make sure that we are trusting in Christ alone. John 14.6 says, No man comes to the Father except through me. And so, speaking for myself, I do not want to trust in myself for my salvation. That's a spectacularly bad idea. But I also don't want to trust in good works for salvation. I don't want to trust in my water baptism 
for salvation. I cannot even trust entirely in the prayers of others for my salvation, although those are wonderful things and I accept those prayers. You know, Martin Luther dreamed once that he was standing before the judgment seat of God. And when Luther was asked to give an account of himself, Satan stepped forward and opened a large book in which all of Luther's sins were set out. And Luther said, I was guilty of every sin. But then suddenly one verse came to his mind, and he said to Satan, But one thing you have forgotten. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And Satan picked up the heavy book and fled. And so it can be for us if we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And thank God for that. I mean, I feel if Luther had a large book of sins that Satan could open up in front of him, uh, yeah, I, I just have this vision of Satan bringing the entire set of the Encyclopedia Britannica in my case. But as bad as that is, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin, including even mine and including even yours. If it were the last day on earth for us, if it were for me, I would let others know that I love them. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And the need to be told, I love you, is a universal need. There was um, there's a story um, in a family. Late one night, the phone rang. A police officer was on the line. And he said, we have your son. He was arrested for driving while intoxicated. You may want to come down and bail him out. The father quickly dressed and rushed to the police station. He was a professional man whose business allowed him little time with his family, but he did provide well for his family. And the father asked his son, why would you do this to your mother and me? We bought you a new car. Everything you asked for, we have given you. And the son said, Dad, I appreciate all that you have given me. It is more than any of my friends have. But Dad, what I want is not what you can give me. All I want is you. I just need to know you love me. And so if I knew that I would die before I wake, I would let others know that I love them. And I would just say, I love you. You know, sometimes when people ask that question, do you love me? They won't always get a straight response. They'll say, how can you ask a question like that? Or what do you think? You know, they'll, they'll ask a question with another question. And the simple answer is, you know, if you love somebody, you tell them you love them. And so, if it's your last day on earth, tell as many people as you can that you love that you love them. Another thing that I would do 
is to forgive all of those who have ever wronged me. And that's a very hard thing to do, I think, based on our human nature. But who would want to die with that kind of burden of resentment on your soul? Ephesians 4.32, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And now going back into our history, and it seems very appropriate for me to share this anecdote with you, me being a Yankee, a damn Yankee according to some. At least I was interviewing with a church in Mississippi, and one of the people on the PNC said, what's the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? And I said, well, tell me, and because uh, he was going to anyway. Um, well, a Yankee is somebody from the north who visits. A damn Yankee is someone who stays. So anyway... President Abraham Lincoln was asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they returned to the Union of the United States. And he answered, I will treat them as if they have never been away. And so forgiveness is treating others as if they have never wronged you. Again, a very hard thing to do. But it is still something that God calls us to do. And similarly, though, I would also ask forgiveness from all of those whom I have wronged. And I hope I could do enough of that in one day. Matthew 5.24 says, First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You know, it was not easy for the prodigal son to ask forgiveness from his father, But he did so. He said humbly, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he did not ask to be restored to his former position. He simply asked to be forgiven. And you know, I'm not, as far as I know, I'm not confronting my last day. But there have been times when I've had terrible quarrels with friends. And they have said something to hurt me, and I've said something to hurt them. And I am so uneasy in my heart if that persists. And I will often, well, I will often say, please forgive me for what I said. And, you know, when, when it comes to friends, that works. If you have a friendship with, one, with somebody, or if you love somebody, forgiveness works. If you take that step, it will be accepted. And that is a wonderful blessing in itself because the corollary is so painful. It is such a burden on the heart to carry either resentment or guilt into the night with you if you've had a quarrel with a friend. Now, another thing, it seems like we have quite a to-do list here, but another thing that I would try to do is to do what I had intended to do that day. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. So if I had planned to cut the grass, I'd cut the grass. Or if I planned to wash the car, I'd wash the car. If I planned to work on a sermon, I would do it. Or at least I would try to. It would be hard if you're confronting your last day on earth. And yet, God has put us all here for a plan and a purpose. And if your plan is to do something, if, 
Or if his plan for you is to do something, if the purpose is to do something, then yes, you should do that, even if it is the very last day of your life. Another thing that I could do and you could do is anticipate seeing others who have gone on before us. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. And so for me, I would anticipate seeing my mother, for example, um, my one of my aunts who died about 20 years ago, my uncle, friends, people in churches that I have served who have since died, many, many people I would anticipate seeing. And the wonderful thing is the the beauty of the loving relationship and the friendship would be there without the sort of problems that exist on this earth. I mean, why do why do married couples fight? You know, you hear, you hear the old phrase, they're like an old married couple. And that often means they fight all the time. Um, sometimes you can be like that with a friend. Well, it isn't like that in heaven. You have all the good in the relationship and none of the bad, and that is something to look forward to. And finally... Most importantly, I would anticipate seeing Jesus. Revelation 22.4 says, They will see his face. And John 14.3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And so every time a follower of Jesus Christ dies, Christ comes again, to receive that person and to draw him to himself. And that is really the best thing to look forward to. And so, brothers and sisters, based on these ideas that I've given you, these suggestions, reflect upon this question. If you knew that you were going to die before you wake, what would you do? And now, to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we all can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.